Is it wrong to defend yourself against criticism? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, we uh, we launched this with a very important question of should we be defending ourselves against criticism? I hope and so, because I get my fair share of criticism thrown my way, so uh, I, I, I hope so. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, I've because I've got to say, I've got some criticism for you, and, uh, and get I in need line. you to take it. <laughs> get in line. But, uh, but we are jumping into, um, in our zigzag through the New Testament, um, through Acts and Epistles, we are jumping into 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Um, and so, Brent, how about, and so we know that this has, there's a lot of criticism that's involved here yeah. because it's Paul. Yeah, and he, he's criticized. So I, I, we need to take a couple of minutes and explain the context of this letter because, again, we just you, you don't understand what in the world is he talking about if we don't start there. So 2 Corinthians is actually probably the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. We have two in Scripture, two are not in Scripture. So let me just kind of walk through what we believe, piecing together based on clues in the epistles, and again, drawing from Acts. What happened? What's the history, the background of Paul and the Corinthian church? So it starts with visit one when Paul, of course, planted the church. And then after he leaves, he writes them a letter, which is a lost letter. We don't have that one. And then letter two is what we know as 1 Corinthians, and it's a letter in response to sins that the church was engaging in based on a report that Chloe shared with Paul. So Chloe visits Paul. She tells him, you wouldn't believe what's going on. And Paul writes this letter back in 1 Corinthians to correct them of these sins. Basically say, guys, stop being knuckleheads, knock it off. So after that, Paul has his second visit. So it's his first one after planting. And it is really known as a sorrowful visit, which makes sense because he's bringing, I mean, he's going to lay down the hammer. And we see this in Paul's writings at times. He probably didn't mince words. Um, he, he, you know, he, he's calling on that church to repent. And you look at their sins in 1 Corinthians, they needed to repent, of course. Mm-hmm. So after that visit, he leaves and he writes a third letter. Again, we don't have this one in scripture. And this is known as the severe letter. He references it in 2 Corinthians a severe letter of rebuke of the church. Apparently, after his visit, they arched their backs instead of repenting. And so he writes this letter to break those arched backs. He hears then finally that they repented, or at least most of the church. Some still hadn't. And so that's when he writes the fourth letter, which is 2 Corinthians that we're looking at. And if you read this letter, it's a letter Again, in response to most of the church repenting, there's some personal elements to it. Um, I think Paul here, he's because he knows, all right, they've repented. We, we, we've got what we need. He kind of lowers his guard a little bit, um, and he's a little bit more personal with them. There's more joy mentioned in it because they repented, repented. but also notice that he, he quite often talks about he's glad that they had to experience the sorrow. What is he talking about? This whole process that they've gone through, that God used that sorrow to bring about repentance. It's a good thing. But 
there are still a handful of knuckleheads, some false teachers in Corinth who have not repented, who are still plaguing the church. So he's going to address them in 2 Corinthians as well, which is what he's talking about. By the time we get to 11, he's talking about these super apostles we're going to meet. And uh, he's really just kind of, again, as Paul does, tongue firmly in his cheek at this. I love this chapter and just kind of putting it on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump into that, into that chapter and let's read these, these verses together. So here is Paul in second Corinthians chapter 11. I wish you would put up with a little more foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach or you have received or you receive a different spirit which you had not received or a different gospel which you had not accepted you put up with it splendidly now i consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches to, uh, by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I, was, when I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and I will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of, of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. I love when Paul goes off on a little bit of a rant because it usually <laughs> ends with, and by the way, they're the devil. Yeah. And, it, you know, before we go any further, this is just another great passage that reminds us you can't read the Bible flat. We've talked about this before at times, but this is a great, you, you, the sarcasm here is so heavy. Oh, it's dripping. Yeah. And it's so you so can't, good. some people don't, they don't want to read it with sarcasm and you have to, it's intended. Um, it, it doesn't make sense if you take the sarcasm out. Did um, I get enough in there? Yeah. Well, we, okay. you and I, we have the gift of, of sarcasm. So is that a gift? Yeah. It's, well, it's a curse. <laughs> um, okay. So, All right. yeah, but we, you got to read this. You got to see it there. And so, yeah, when you're reading, Paul here, and you're like, oh my, uh, just really love what he's talking about. So let, let's kind of talk about this. Let's, let's, let's kind of break it down and see what questions present themselves. And there are a few. Um, the first one, just to be clear, what foolishness is Paul talking about as he starts in verse one? 
And again, that foolishness, just to be clear, is he's, com he's comparing himself to the super apostles. He, he's foolish to do that. That's the tongue in cheek. He's like, all right, I'm about to go somewhere that's silly for me to go, but I have to go because you guys have taken me here. Um, so if you want to think about super apostles and how great they are, let me compare myself to them and show you I'm not, I don't measure up to their standards. They, they say they're better than me. They're right mm -hmm. if you're measuring from those standards. So what he's doing is, again, he's, he's, he's aligning himself and comparing and contrasting on purpose that he doesn't measure up to them, but he provides something different. He provides something better. Um, and his point, of course, if you take the sarcasm out, is reject these guys. Uh, you know, if that's the best they have, that they, they speak well, come on. It, that's not what it's about. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned once again that we have to not read the Bible flat um, because a lot of our, I think a lot of our misunderstandings of Paul really come from, from a tendency to read the Bible flat. And so this particular passage is one of those that um, I think causes people to misunderstand him. Um, yeah. We see him talking about, um, you know, his tendency toward plain speech and things like this in other areas as well. Uh, we'll get to um, we'll get to this in in a little bit more, but um, if you read it if you read it without thinking about how things are being said and what is being said and thinking about it from the totality of that person's recorded life and ministry in the scriptures, you miss a lot. Yeah. So that that was my my little bit of an aside. So the next question that we should be asking, though, about this, um, aside from what is this foolishness, is what does Paul mean with the imagery of marriage? And so really, so think about the imagery that he is he's he's got in this passage. He's got um, Paul as the, basically the father of the Corinthians, and the Corinthians are. Uh, intended as this pure daughter, and Christ is the bridegroom. And then you have the serpent in there too. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going in there because the serpent is the false teacher who is interloping in the marriage to lead the bride away. The other image that you could probably incorporate there, not just as the false teacher trying to lead him lead the bride the bride away. You know, he is the the stereotypical handsome man who the other sort of handsome man is. Um, trying to get the girl away from. And he does briefly, and then everything, you know, works out at the end, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> the idea here, though, is that just as a father would be jealous to protect the, the, the physical and emotional purity of his daughter that he is giving to her groom, Paul himself is jealous to protect the spiritual purity of, of the Corinthian church. He does not want anyone or anything corrupting it. Yeah. And he takes so much flack for that. Yeah. And it, you know, that's, I love how, because even in the midst of this highly sarcastic, I'm going to come, I'm going to speak about something else again, just to clarify it in a second, but we can't miss his heart. His heart is on display there with that imagery. He, he loves this church, even though he's been stern with them. He loves them. And so, you know, I think that's driving his sarcasm here. I think he's so exasperated to a degree. He's like, man, I'm just, I love you guys too much. I need to be strong about this. Which takes to the next question in verse four. You read that and, and it says, for if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, 
which you have not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. And again, we can't read this flat. If you read this flat, it seems like Paul is saying, that's good. He's not. It's the exact opposite. He is highly sarcastic here. Um, he is not saying it's good to receive a different gospel or a different Jesus or different spirit because there is no different gospel, different spirit, and different Jesus. He's emphatic about this in all of his epistles. So when you read that, again, just to be clear, we have to understand he's being highly sarcastic. Uh, he's meaning the opposite of what he's saying. The next big question really is rooted in uh, verses 5 through 11, which is, uh, which is where Paul digs deep into his problems with these so-called super apostles. There are several key things that he discusses here, but the big two were their being highly trained in, in the art of rhetoric, their value as they perceived it, and really as the Corinthian church was, was seeing it as well, was, wasn't in the content of their message, but it was in the way in which they said it. Yeah. And so they were, they were being uh, wooed with superficiality. Good thing that never happens today. Not at all. Never. It never happens, um, you know, except for all the times that it does. <laughs> <laughs> so by contrast, because of the way that he chose to speak, Paul didn't, didn't measure up because he didn't use the same kind of rhetorical flares yeah. that, that, that they, and flourishes that they did. Now, here is the common mistake. Paul was not a poor speaker. He was actually an excellent speaker. He could get into rhetorical tricks all day long if he wanted to. He chose not to. And the reason I say that he could is because we see him doing it in other places that are recorded in Scripture, but he does it for a purpose. And that's important, Aaron, because in in rhetoric, there were times that you could... um, Somebody could argue something foolishly or something mm-hmm. foolish, but do it well, mm-hmm. and that was respected. So it wasn't yes. the substance, it was how you did it. And that's what he's recoiling. He doesn't. He wanted people to fall in love with the message of the gospel, not the way he delivered it. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I, you know, when I was in high school, um, I had a, one of my favorite teachers, his name, his, his, uh, his name was Mr. Supersod. Um, was that, that his was real name? His name. That wow. was his name. That's it's great. A, it was it was a hard name to spell too. My absolute favorite English teacher. He, he really of he, my he should have had life. a landscaping business. He should have, but it wasn't spelled like that. No. So, <laughs> but I remember him distinctly telling, and it stuck with me, and it stuck with me forever. Um, he had he he was talking about this, and he he was advocating for the importance of, um being wise with your rhetoric because he said you can convince someone of anything Hmm. based on how you say it if you say it well you you've got them and that's and that's why it's so important that paul was so concerned with the content of his message he cared about people knowing the gospel not being impressed with him yeah and so uh, so that is, that is, you know, we're going to jump ahead of here a little bit, but it's worth noting here that what we need, what we should be taking away 
um, as we think about our discipleship practices and really even in our experience as disciples, we need to be a lot less concerned with the style of people who um, and, and how they preach. And we need to be a lot more concerned with the content as well as their character. Yeah. And that's not to say, I know you're not saying this, but in case somebody mishears or hears what we're not saying, yeah, it is not saying that pastors should not try to structure well-spoken, well-delivered sermons. This is not yes. a reason for us to get up there, and just butcher something and say, well, it's the, you know, it's, I'm saying the gospel. Who cares if I'm saying it poorly? I'm just following in Paul's footsteps. No, right. we should. But if that consumes more of your attention and focus... Um, in your preparation, that's an issue. Or if you're more prone to hear people just heaping praise about how you said things, but are not being discipled and growing because of what you said, then that could be a concern. Or of course, Absolutely. if your your pride, and this is something you have to do the hard analysis, is your pride speaking up? And do you want people just to love how well spoken you are? So totally. again, it's not saying that we get up there and just you know use you know, poorly constructed grammar and sentences. No, rhetoric matters, and, and we want to say things well. Um, spinning a, a really good phrase that's memorable, that sticks with people, so the truth sticks with people. There's a yeah. really important role in that. Yeah, definitely. It really just comes down to what is the, what is, what is at the heart of what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. And who are you making much of? So that was one problem that they had. The other problem was that these guys, these super apostles, there was an expectation that they would get paid. And so they were they were charging for the gospel <laughs> or their gospel. Um, and so this may have added to their perceived value to the Corinthians. So it's like, oh, well, you know, these guys, you know, we, we have to we have to buy tickets you know, and so, and, and, you know, Paul, he's, he's, you know, giving it away for free. Well, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. And in the, in the case of the gospel, the answer is absolutely not. The gospel is the inverse of this. Um, you can't buy it. <laughs> There's no way to buy this. And, you know, there are, um, and and so this and so Paul argues against this so strongly that he argues that um, because his that his message actually mattered most because he was not taking any any money from the Corinthians and he goes so outlandish and he says I was robbing other people in order yeah. to in order to give it to you for free um, but and that was his sarcasm again yes. he wasn't literally robbing people <laughs> He's not Robin Hood um, no. <laughs> No, um, but he was doing this out of love to not be a burden to them. He didn't want to betray the gospel for any reason, especially not a superficial reason like money. Yeah. Now, in Paul's argument and in the arguments that are in Scripture, there is nothing that says that you cannot make money from Ministry from from ministry, he didn't say that no one was supplying his needs. He said that someone else was doing yeah. it. Yeah, and so we have to understand that it's not wrong for people who work in vocational Christian ministry. So whether that's in a uh, in a church or in a 
another kind of parachurch ministry or publishing or whatever, it's not wrong for them to earn a living from that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, elsewhere, Paul talks about the workers worthy of his wages. And, and there clearly are other passages where you, you, we have to read the full council scripture. You're absolutely right. You could take something like this. And there are a couple other passages where people could manipulate to make an argument that pay should not be attached. But again, the full council does not support that. But we've talked about this in other contexts. It's it's that balance. So think mm-hmm. of ministry. There's nothing wrong with pastors being paid. Yeah. Um, and a church should seek to support them well. It's hard work. I've been a pastor 17, 18 years before coming to Lifeway. It is hard work. Um, highly skilled. I mean, you think about all the things that go in. We should be taking care of pastors so they're not, especially so they don't have to worry about their financial well-being and take their emphasis off serving the church. Yeah, and it's a lifestyle yeah. job. But does that mean they should be stinking wealthy? Well, there's a line there. Where do you pay them so they're paid decently, they're taken care of, they're not living in poverty, but they're not living lavishly either? And it's mm-hmm. contextual. That may be different in uh, places in wealthier areas than it might be for some other areas. Um, and and I think the the rule of thumb there is, what is kind of the median of your church? And your pastor, probably your staff would probably be well if they're making something that puts them in the median range of, of your church. Not the wealthiest necessarily, but not the poorest necessarily either. Yeah. And it's the same thing, carrying over as you're talking about publishers, other ministries. Yep. Um, you know, there's a place for us to recognize, you know, my team, for example, they work full time and then some. Mm-hmm. And they're able to devote the attention and what they do and do it well because they have no other distractions. It's not, this is not a part-time aside for them. This is what they do. And so mm-hmm. they pour themselves into it. And so, yeah, that's a good point you bring up. But the, the last thing, I, I don't want us to, to miss 12 through 15, Paul's takeaway, because it's so important. You know, he says, all right, well, what then of this? Um, and he, he basically says, well, I'm not surprised by the charade of these false teachers, teachers, it's because it's what Satan does. He disguises himself as light when he's really darkness. And so this should not surprise us. And so what will I do about it? Paul says, well, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm going to continue preaching the gospel. I'm going to hold fast to the gospel. And I'm going to continue sharing the gospel the way I've told you I am and trusting God through it. And so I think there's a good reminder to us too, as we uh, transition toward takeaways that we should have a similar posture of, hey, we can't control what's going on around us. Speak against it as Paul did. But when it all comes down to it, what's our takeaway? Keep doing what we've been called to do. Uh, continuing on in this this mindset of, of uh, practical applications and how we disciple others, um, let's get to that question that, that we led this off with, with is it like, is there anything wrong with uh, with defending ourselves against criticism? And the answer is no and yes. And and I say it that way intentionally because it really comes down to why and to what extent. And so is it because, so are you defending yourself against criticism because your pride is hurt? Or are you defending yourself against criticism because the critics are leading people into error? Yeah. 
And this is actually something that I've had a really hard time with in the past because, I mean, I can handle critique pretty well and getting feedback from people on things that uh, I maybe struggle with here here and there, different issues, um, for example. Um, You know, people have commented in the past on my tendency toward ums and ahs and that's something that I'm working on and I continue to work on and it can be a distraction from for people and that's okay I that's the kind of critique that's helpful to me but there's also part of me that when I'm getting criticized for something that I want to go after it and I want to respond in kind and and in those instances that's really that's that's really an issue where it's hurting my pride. And it's not always as neat and tidy as I wish it were. I mean, sometimes there's legitimate critique that stings a little bit. And, um, you know, and I have to deal with that too. But yeah, I, I think and that kind of takes us to this next idea of we need to be careful not only in how we are addressing things we're talking about, but we have to be careful and discerning about what we're consuming. And so, you know, think about it, you're, you're hearing teaching, you're hearing, especially today when you can hear preaching through so many different means on social media. And I mean, it's just, it's all over clips, uh, a three minute video clip is something, um, or even what we're hearing in our churches, we need to be discerning and we need to filter everything through the lens of the gospel and compare it to scripture. And when it's found to, instead of just blindly consuming, we need to do that. And when it's found in agreement, of course, we latch onto it. And if it's found in disagreement with scripture, then the way we approach it um, matters. And that's kind of what you're talking about, that we go and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. Did I hear this right? Am I understanding this right? Did you mean this when you said this and so forth? And give the person a chance to explain. Maybe we misheard. Maybe it didn't come out right. Or maybe mm-hmm. he meant it. And it's grounds to say, wait a minute. Yeah. The, look at scripture together. But again, what's our heart in doing that? Is it an, are we looking for an I gotcha? Are we looking to, uh, to come across as smarter or more spiritual than the person? Or is our heart one of, we're believers together. We want to make sure we all are clinging fast to the gospel and the gospel only. So... Be careful discerning how we, what we consume and then how we deal with when we consume something that doesn't seem right. Yeah. And the last thing that, that I think we would have as an encouragement, at least for, at least for this time around, is really um, just to remember that this passage and, and what Paul says here as he talks about his, his, comparative and intentional plain speech with uh, with communicating the gospel is that this really is an encouragement for us as we seek to make disciples. So we have to remember that we make disciples not based on our giftedness or our skillfulness in, in our ability to speak or um, our intellectual capacity or anything like that. There is there's nothing wrong with being well-spoken, and there's nothing wrong with being um, very knowledgeable. Both of those things are good things. At the same time, there's nothing wrong with being a person who naturally stutters or who um, who trips over their, their own words uh, periodically 
who struggles with their ums and ahs, you know, like I do and, and things like this. Those things do not prevent you from being an effective disciple maker. What makes or breaks us as disciple makers is what are we trying to disciple people with? What matters is that we are discipling people based on the gospel. And so we pursue people with the gospel with urgency and with passion and with compassion because there is nothing more important than these things. And we see Paul doing this even in this highly sarcastic passage there is the his urgency is driving his sarcasm his passion is as well both for the gospel and for these people and he's doing it because he has compassion on them he does not want them to be deceived and so if we think about people from that perspective how we speak and the and although again we we want to be as clear and helpful as possible uh we we definitely do not believe that that we should be sloppy and you know entirely extemporaneous in our speech <laughs> um if uh, unless you're particularly gifted in that area that way um we know some people who are freakishly gifted like that and um God bless him. <laughs> I am not one. So, but, uh, but however God has gifted us, let's use those gifts to their fullness so that we can go forward with this me- message with the same heart that Paul had. Yeah. All right. So that is probably a good place for us to stop for today. So thanks for for chatting today, Brian, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.